Hello. Hey, girl. Hey. Hi. It's been a while. Um, if you don't know, it's me. If you don't know, the, you said hello, and it's me. So long after, I didn't know we were singing. What's your favorite? That's because you were talking, and I didn't realize. You know. Anyways, we're back. This is what did you do if you didn't know? And my name is D. You probably need to be reintroduced because it's been a while. So my name is D. Right, and if you have not met me before, I'm Charnel. Uh, doing it up. Back after, I don't know, almost nine months. I can't believe it's been that long, but it has. Uh, we should do like and a quick update on life, real quick, and then before we get into the episode. Should I go first? I feel like I should You have, go first. yeah, you should I, go first. I have, I feel like I have the, the, so first of all, for those of you who do not know, um, well, I'll say this first of all, thank you so much for people who have been gracious um, in this time. Thank you so much to everyone who has been kind and compassionate, has said nice things, um, people who I don't know, just did nice things for me. Um, if you do not know, uh, if you don't follow me on social media, I didn't really say much about it on like Instagram, but if you follow me on Twitter, I've mentioned it. Um, I lost my sister in March unexpectedly and suddenly. Um, and in that time, uh, I also became a parent overnight. My niece um, uh, is was around still, so I got to be a foster parent sooner than I thought. Um, and so that means a lot of life changes, a lot of the way I live, a lot of lifestyle changes. Um, but it's been fun. Um, crash course parenting has been fun. She's 14, so you can only imagine what that is like. Uh, but you've been doing amazing. <laughs> I'm very proud of you, friend. I would, I would like to say so. I also, um, because I'm a masochist, graduated and started another program. So, Woo! yay. Um, so that is me. And I was like, next stop, doctor of psychology one day. I'm going <laughs> to, I was looking online today. I was like, I feel like I should do it. But it's because I don't like myself too much. Um, but that is my life. That's what it's looked like. Um, and so I've just been busy. Um, I started a new job in the last year, too. Um, so just all these things have happened that have kept me away. Um, but I'm back now. Things have settled. Uh, I'll let Dee tell you her business. <laughs> well, we're glad you're back in my business. Ooh, where do I start? Um, I bought a house. I have a pretty good updates. Um, Rich. <laughs> not at all. Working. I, she got I, money. Now he could actually say I have a house because he used to make fun of me about having a house, but that was my mama's house. Now I actually have not, a house, so it's relevant. Oh, uppity tail. Yeah. Um, but that means I'm not really in my house because I'm. I continue working. Um, still in human services. Whoopee! I am not a masochist, <laughs> and I didn't finish my master's program, but I'm moving on. I was promoted last year, so it was fine. Uh, I think you guys knew that. And then, so last thing I did was start a candle company. So I sell candles. So if you want candles, louiseandlot.com. And that's what I did. That's, I think that's it. Um, I continue like on the family path. So we're still trying to conceive and I'm going through that journey. And I don't mind sharing about that. So, I mean, I had surgery at the end of last year. So we, we've been going through stuff. There's been a lot of, I became an auntie. Shout out to my sister. Yeah. And it's not mine. So. <laughs> yes. Because for a while there, you know. Thought my sister would have an we extra male <laughs> affair. What? 
we were on track for for some good times. I thought. Oh gosh, imagine. I ignored the whole marriage thing, but then you can't ignore the pregnancy thing. You got to take a step yeah. back and reevaluate. Yeah, I'm sure she would welcome you into her marriage. Uh, unbeknownst <laughs> to my brother-in-law, she would. So I was like, I don't think he would. He'd appreciate. I it don't think you appreciate it. I don't think you'll have a choice. This, these two things. Well, I mean, that's that's it. I continue <laughs> to be a stepmom and be married. So that that's all. Is an adventure. I'm not married. I'm not married. We're we'll, we'll take care of that you. soon. I got business with Janice. No. I got business with Janice. Yeah, they've been con- they've been what's it plotting <laughs> and all this stuff. I don't know. Like I told you, <laughs> I remember. Remember that time? I don't remember what I said on this pod. I think when I say heterosexuality is the ghetto, yeah. or something like that. No, but it is. And I still get tweets about that. So like, I I don't I don't envy you <laughs> or your sister. Uh, <laughs> but it is like there's no. I don't think. You know, if I were a lesbian, I think relationships are the ghetto in general. So I don't, I mean, it's a different kind of ghetto when you're heterosexual because you have to deal with cis-hetero men. Um, And that is just spotty. That's just very spotty. You can find decent women that are nice, but I also do not like to give people attention or I don't like people who need attention all the time. So alone is for me. Um, So much But, you know, I'm married. I see people. (laughs) Right. Every time I see people in relationships, I'm just like, oh, y'all live like this? I feel oh. like my yeah. husband works for me and cis-hetero works for me because I just don't like to be bothered. So my husband could, like, go somewhere and, like, do his mm. own thing. And I'm, like, doing my own thing. And when I want, like, to do hang out with somebody, he's there, too. Like, he'll he's, like, literally read, like, four or five book series in the last month. And it's great because I get me time. So. Hey. Sounds like fun. I mean, I get no me time anyway. I will, yeah. Again, yeah. Parenting, single parenthood. Yeah, so yeah. that's always exciting. But we're taking care uh, of the single of, part. That's what we're we're here for. No, like again, we just described relationships being ghetto, and you're like, we're going to take care of that. Why would you want me to <laughs> enter into your stuff? It's a special kind of misery to want other people to enter into your suffering. I suffer, so you have to too. I don't think so. That's not my ministry. I don't think that's God's plan for my life, and that's fine. But speaking of parenthood, um, one of my favorite people on the planet, one of our, I'm going to say favorite listeners, and I don't care how y'all feel about it, but Diana is pregnant. Yay! Congratulations! I know. I've been watching their little updates, and again, Diana, you know, you don't have to worry about me trying to break up. I was going to say, a baby solidifies it, I guess. Told you, pregnancy always, (laughs) always, you know. It always boxes me out. But um, no, no, I'm really excited for her. I, the, her and her husband's like cute updates with like I know, the size of the I baby and her stripper pole. Yes. Which always makes I me want happy. one so bad, but I don't know where to put it. Like it would be in my basement, but my ceilings won't permit it. But I <laughs> well, no, no. No, but shout out to you, Diana. We're so excited for you. I think you should name. The baby Charnel, or the middle name should be Charnel. Feel free to spell it with the E L L E. I won't be offended. I still know it's about me. So thank you. Wow. Anyway. Anyway, so yeah, that's it. I mean, other things have happened. I, I know that some listeners have had some awesome things happening. Yeah. I know we have a lot of teachers that listen. So I just want to say shout out to y'all and good luck in the way that the school year is going to start right. because things are wild right. out here. And some of y'all that I know live in Florida is all I'm going to say. Um, but y'all take care of yourselves, please. Yes. Lord, I always talk about Florida, but you see what happens. We're going to talk about hygiene at the end of this, too, because, you know, we say keep your hands clean, but other body parts, too. Thank you very much. We're in a panorama. Like, please. <laughs> 
They were at a panic at the disco. Why are these celebrities coming out talking about these hygienic things during a, a pandemic is wild to me. I really wish people would just stop telling us <laughs> stuff like that is I understand. like that was my response. I understand under like mental health circumstances, you're depressed. It happens. Great. But like, I'm not baiting my kid after they come out from outside is wild to me. I don't. I grew up in a time where if you smelled like outside, you had to stay away from furniture. Wait, so I <laughs> this time still exists in black culture because definitely when my stepdaughter comes from the park, I'm like, oh, it's bad time because nope, because she smells like outside. So much like outside. Speaking of being outside, we're going to cover someone today who spent way too much time outside. Mm, yeah, I guess so. Not in a, not in a good way. way. Wait, we, we've no, tried this episode before, so knock on wood, okay? Let's get through this. We can dust it off and try it. <laughs> no, we have to. But this is like number. This has to be number seven. Uh, that we've it tried this like episode. Seven. I feel like I, know, I'm, I might be over exaggerating. It might be it's four like or four, five, but, but <laughs> it's like three. But or four. if it's four, it's four minutes too many times. It's nine minutes into this thing, so let's let's do yes. this. We've talked a lot, and you know, you know the people who are going to be like, I don't understand. We why haven't they been around for almost a year, so hush. Anyways. We miss you. We miss you. And, and we and again, you guys deserve to know. You guys have been riding with us for a long time, so you deserve to know where we've been. Exactly. Clearly, you know we've been on the internet. We're alive because we've been talking to you. <laughs> we just ain't been doing it. Anyway, I know folks are just like, folks are like, I see that they have free time. They're tweeting. They're eating their Instagram, and they're at the park. You can't sit behind a mic for 20 minutes. So, no. It's all good. Right. In the hood. So, here we're going to talk about Arthur gary bishop uh that we are yeah we're gonna talk about him again let me try this out i didn't say this 40 times anyways he was born in hinkley hinkley utah <laughs> i'm gonna let you hinkley i don't know how to say that on september hinkley. Hinkley. <laughs> on september go ahead go ahead oh on september 29th <laughs> 1952 um he was born into a mormon household um so they're very religious there's not a, not a lot of information about his childhood, which I always hate, but we know that he was an Eagle Scout. There is nothing significant there, but, you know, I question if there was something significant there. We'll go back to that in a little bit. The only thing we know about mm-hmm. his childhood is that when, after everything was, all the crimes were committed, he did report that he was molested as a young man to a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, he was an Eagle Scout. I don't know if that was, you know, there's history of abuse in certain Eagle Scout troops and stuff. So I don't know if that's the situation, but you know, that's just one theory. Um, along with this, you know, theory that maybe it happened in those situations, either the Mormon Church or Eagle Scouts, he became fixated on young boys. He tried to date a couple of girls when he was younger, but he knew early on that he was attracted to men or boys. Mm. I, I'll say boys. So after high school, he went on his Latter Day Saints mission. Um, <laughs> Sorry. To the Philippines. You just made it. You made it sound like I don't. Know I put LDS, like. and then I had to stop because I was like, okay, but people might not know what LDS is. So yeah. <laughs> so when we when we mentioned Latter Day, we're referring to. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, specifically, I had a Mormon friend tell me, like, months ago when we tried to record this the first time, um, 
that sometimes there are different circles who feel like there are connotations around the label Mormon, and because people hear Mormon and they think polygamy and they think you know right. strangely exclusive and alienating practices and there are some people who are part of the LDS who are, who believe that hey we're as inclusive as we possibly can be in holding our convictions and also we don't do the multiple wives thing so like there's all that stuff but yeah every person who is uh, in the Church of Latter-day Saints has to go on a mission um, I believe when they turn 18 right. so Right out of high school, that's he ended up in the Philippines. So, um, again, he was still desiring young men um, at this time. And he reports that he kept these desires for young boys under control until around this time. Um, he, he just, it was really under wraps, but he started to really feel stuff because, you know, it's the Philippines it's hot. There are a lot of people who are not wearing clothing, young naked boys around, poverty. So um, he really had urges, but he kept it under control from what he said. Um, right. Right. <laughs> but context, like contextualizing too, because just like I don't want anyone to feel a certain type of way, but we know when we talk about the Philippines, like when people were talking about the Philippines and we we're talking about the intersection with mission trips. Right. We are talking about the most impoverished areas right. of the Philippines that these church missions tend to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, people who don't have a lot. Um, and the power dynamic shifts once a, a mission comes into town, right? You have money, means, food, right. clothes, whatever it is. And so there, you know, there tends to be reports of abuse or, you know, I would say mishandling of, of events, people items, all that stuff. So for him to say, hey, I started really feeling these things around this time, everything D said, like people don't have clothes on, it's hot, like all these things are happening. And I find it very hard to believe that he he kept his hands to it. 100%. So he reports he didn't molest anyone or touch anyone at this point, uh, but I highly doubt it. And like you said, those children are very vulnerable um, probably not a lot of adults, or you could trade certain things or needs for your child. I'm sure it happens. So I, I highly doubt that he was so innocent, but he completes his LDS mission and he goes back to the United States where he completes his business degree and in accounting and becomes a bookkeeper for a Ford dealership. Mm. Um, well, we talk American made. <laughs> I can't stand you. I drive a Hyundai, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll see myself. <laughs> I was like, what do you say? People who drive a Ford are not gonna think about themselves. Like, oh. I don't know. Like, people love. I was gonna buy a Ford Explorer recently. I was like, ah, oh, they're pretty big now. Uh, so uh, anyway, anyways. yeah, he worked at a Ford dealership as a bookkeeper. <laughs> Um, it was there, like, around this time he begins to, um, consume child pornography. Um, <laughs> you know, and at that time, getting those materials are kind of difficult because it's not like you could go online. There's no, you know, I'm going to go on my smartphone and view the stuff. He has to go and actively look for it, whether it be, like, magazines or going to, and they're not going to be on, like, 
magazines you could get in the store, right? So they're going to be like in the back hallways, some guys, some trading, and a lot of homemade material at this time. So, right. um, and you're paying and, a lot of money for it. <laughs> and I just want to point out, and this is what's terrifying. And I mentioned this a lot on this podcast and it's because it's important around, this is around 1977, 78, like the seventies were wild. Yeah, and people, like a lot of these. And we, <laughs> the seventies for kids. Yeah, and we, not a good time. No, and so like it's terrifying because there are people like you said. It's not something that is just passed. It's not something they went on LimeWire or whatever to find. This is something that they had that people were actively looking for. And if you couldn't find it, people were manufacturing it, which means that kids were being kidnapped, kids were being abused, raped attacked you know and traumatized some and then killed right we look how many missing kids in the 70s so there's just so many terrifying things around the fact that he knew where to go and who to talk to and the types of people he was talking to like i don't think it's it's hard to believe that he may have been in some kind of transactional relationship with a killer 100 right um or another right 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 especially in those times um so with that said, you need money to pay for this stuff. I'm, I'm assuming at this point, getting this stuff is fairly expensive. There's probably a lot of it's probably lucrative yeah. um, being one of these people who produces this material. So he embezzles money from the dealership he works for. Um, again, it's not said what he uses money for, but I'm sure obtaining the material, the child porn was part of it. Um, so they catch him. <laughs> Uh, he gets in trouble with the law. He receives a five-year suspended jail sentence, so he doesn't do actual time. But he's told he has to live in a halfway house and pay back the money. Um, and of course, naturally, he gets fired. But he did not go to the halfway house. Imagine, all you had to do is go to the halfway house and just pay back the money. I mean, I don't think a person of color would be so fortunate after embezzling. No. But here we (laughs) right, especially in the seventies and and now in Utah, (laughs) no, and now. But he didn't live in this house for a halfway house. He ran away and began to use aliases. But when we say he ran away, it was like the next town over. So no homeboy crossed the. He went to the Walmart down the street. Right. So no one. I felt like not only like okay, he runs away, he changed his name, but no one was actively looking for him. Like he was right there. Like, they could have found him for not doing his end of the bargain and arrested him, but that didn't happen, which it could have saved probably a lot of people if they had. Oh, 100%. <laughs> right. And <laughs> he went, he hopped, skipped, and jumped and changed his name to Roger Downs. Right. Of all the names. So around this time, he joined the Big Brother program. Uh, which unfortunately gave him access to young boys. So Big Brother is where you mentor children who are at risk and maybe poverty or don't have a lot of adult influence and they need somebody to spend time with, mentor. I I actually used to be a mentor, but for the why. So, I mean, usually good intentions to the people who do this type of thing, uh, not so much for him. Um, again, right. it gives him access to the young boys that, you know, he probably wanted attention to from. And it wasn't long before accusations started swirling. Yep. So it's 1976 now. 
and he gets accused of molesting a child while he's at the Big Brother. Um, there's no evidence that the Big Brother organization reported this, but they forced him out of the program. Um, but I don't think they report uh, reported it to the police because, again, probably could have saved a couple lives later on in the story, but doesn't get in trouble, just gets uh, kicked out. So right. all of these combinations of actions led to probably the thing that set him off later on for his later actions. He was excommunicated from the LDS church. I mean, probably more so for the um, embezzlement. I'm sure the church found out about that. I feel like it's Utah. The communities are fairly small. Um, and I feel like... <laughs> Sorry. And I feel like... This was the beginning of the real downfall. Um, if there wasn't any stuff like he said from before, um, he definitely starts to act on these urges now because he's no longer religiously affiliated. Right. There's, I've, I feel like I've talked about it a few times on this podcast. Like religion is such a powerful force. Um, religion as like organized religion. I'm not talking about your personal faith and your relationship with Christ or God or Allah, whoever you worship. I'm just saying religion in general is such a powerful force because it's such a powerful social force. And a lot of people get their morals and their social cues from their religious or faith-based backgrounds. And so if you have these urges that you believe are immoral at their core, right? Harming young children and you no longer are affiliated because they forced you out. There is like indirectly a permission given right to then act outside of that because you are outside of that i can't go back i've been told i can't go back so i just see i just see a lot of like gates opening in his brain and all those pedophilic urges were just rushing and ready to get out and they did so that they did around this time. i know you don't like this. nope we're, we'll get to the gore. I just got one more sentence, and then it's all you for a little bit until we get to be catch. Um, but I will say, after you know he got excommunicated, he ends up going back to the Big Brother program under an alias. Mm-hmm. Sir, I, I know it's okay. I get it. Like internet's not around and stuff like that. But like, I'm surprised no one recognized the face. Do I don't you, understand. Like. Um, but it's assumed that he molests more boys around this time. So he gets back, he starts like quote unquote mentoring. Um, and yeah, it's assumed that he continues to molest boys, especially since he's no longer part of the church. Exactly. Um, and all these things somewhat come to an ugly head in 1979 in October um, and now, one of the things that you have to understand, right now he's going under the alias of Roger Downs, um, but he's Arthur Gary Bishop, if we, if we haven't said that enough. Um, but one thing that all his neighbors, people who are close to him, would say about whatever alias he was using is that he would always find himself in spaces that had children, right? Whether it was playgrounds, you know, schools, parks, whatever, he seemed to be around and he seemed to want to and like to interact with kids. That's something that everyone knew, and but no one had any, you know, qualms or dark ideas about what that could mean or believe that he had any dark intentions. 
But in October of 1979, he finds himself at his apartment complex in the courtyard. And here he he runs into Alonzo Daniels, who's four years old, who is playing in the courtyard. And what he does is he lures Alonzo Daniels back to his apartment with the promise of candy. Uh, he's four years old, right? Right. And with the intention of molesting him and I think originally letting him go. Yes. Right? Not really planning it full through about what this would mean. Um, so what happens is he gets him back to his apartment. However, when he starts to undress Alonzo in his living room, Alonzo then begins to cry because he is nervous, scared, unfamiliar person, unfamiliar place. He begins to cry and he starts saying he's going to tell his mom, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens is it hits, uh, I was going to call him, so I was going to call him his other names, Lord. Arthur's, it hits Bishop's panic button here. Right. And so he ends up doing, he ends up beating Alonzo in the head with a hammer. But even then, Alonzo is still crying. And what ends up happening is he brings him to his bathtub and he drowns him there. And once Alonzo has passed, he puts him in a large cardboard box. And now one of the things I want want you to understand is happening right now in that moment where he's where he's ending young Alonzo's life is now Alonzo's mother is looking for him. Your four year old just can't go missing when his mom was right there, right? It just doesn't happen without her panicking and realizing, oh no, I lost my kid. And not just that, other people are looking. Now calling this young boy's name and he's up in his apartment. He sees this happening. And some hours pass and at this point the police are now involved. And we know that Bishop ends up taking this large cardboard box and walking this cardboard box out through the courtyard, past this young boy's mom, past the search party, past the police, and placing it in his trunk. So everyone is literally not aware that the boy that everyone's looking for is right there in the box. Right there in the box. And which blows my mind. It's the it's the disassociation for me as the young kids would say you know it's like not the young like, kids you just do not the young kids popper sure no i can't <laughs> it's what the kids would say um but he just walks past this person this this kid's mom and even right he gets questioned by the police in this moment right he when he returns back from his car he is questioned about it people are walking up to him like hey we know you hang out with the kids have you seen alonzo stoic and he was able to convince them, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just as shocked as you. Playing it off, and the police and investigators, they move on from Bishop. And they talk to the other tenants. Yeah. This is October 14th, right? And so this is this is like a three-hour window where all this has happened. And this man has shaken the police. He's shaken this boy's mom. And that night, he knows he needs to get rid of the body. So what he does, he drives the corpse to Cedar Fort, which is a little southwest of Salt Lake, and he buried him in the desert yep. near some trees. Yep. So this is this is the first, again, we talk about those little permissions right. and giving yourself the allowances you need to act on these urges. However, Bishop is conflicted, right, for so long repressing these, these urges, these feelings. And not only did he act out on the first ones, the pedophilic ones, now he's also a murderer. Right. And so these are all these things where he feels sick to his stomach again. Even if you get kicked out of the church, there's still that, a lot of people call it like Catholic guilt. Right. <laughs> you know? So. But he's feeling. 
all that. Yeah, so although he's feeling sick to his stomach, um, there was that. There was that initial sick to your stomach, but later on it becomes something else. Where he mm. kind of gets, I want to say, fixated. Not fixated is a good word, there you go. <laughs> With the killing and the actions. So he ends up buying puppies. Um, immediately after he doesn't kill anybody, but he starts to kill puppies in the same manner as he would, he murdered Alonzo, right? So he would say that the cries of the puppies kind of reminded him of Alonzo and I guess satiated his fixation for a while. So that. Right. Which is wild. And it wasn't just one or three puppies. It wasn't, you know, for a sick thrill or for, like, just for, like, you know, like a Luca Magnata style. I'm doing this for not just a rush, but hopefully to be nothing. Yeah. Right. This is almost 20 puppies that he adopted around from Salt Lake City Animal Shelters over the course of a little over a year, I believe. And... Eventually, as people would notice, I would notice if my neighbors had different dogs every other month, people start to notice. And people also start to notice the sounds, right? And so once he realizes that, hey, this is going to be coming to an end, because the last thing you want, right, are those animal-loving neighbors snooping around, or God forbid, is PETA even around then? But if you call PETA, you know, PETA will show up. Right. We know that it doesn't matter what. I don't know if will. Peter was around there. That's a good question. Well, animal rights groups definitely were right, around. Because I remember the boom after the free love and all that stuff. There was definitely a lot of animal rights right. um, booming, especially on the uh, the West and East Coast. So I don't know if Utah was also hit with that. but So he realizes like this isn't going to be a thing forever. And so what he ends up doing is turning his sights back to people. And a little over a year had gone by, and on 1980, he meets a young Kim Peterson. Now, Peterson is there at a roller rink, skating rink, a very old-fashioned sentence. Um, but he is here, and he gets approached by Arthur Gary Bishop, and they strike up a conversation. Um, Kim says something along the lines of wanting to buy new skates and wanting to sell his old pair so that way he can afford to get the new pairs. And Bishop says, well, I will buy your old pair of skates so you can get your new ones. And I will meet you here and here, there and there at this time. Now, he agrees to buy them for $35, which if I got the calculation right, which means that I type it into Google correctly, um, I want to say it was like nine hundred something dollars, like some insane amount of money he was offering to this kid. Right. right? And so if you were a young, young teenager, you would be excited about this as well. And so the next day... They decide to meet up. Kim goes to meet Bishop and is never seen again. So what ends up happening um, is that Bishop did exactly what he did um, to Alonzo. Is that he got he'd gotten Kim back to his apartment and then bludgeoned him to death. This is becoming a pattern, right? right. The puppies, yeah. he's perfected whatever he wants. You know, there's also the, which I'd imagine, um, just because it was an Alonzo thing, we're going to see it kind of go on further, that there is probably some kind of sexualized piece of this as well. 
um, that probably that may have happened. It wasn't. There's nothing reported, but I'm just assuming based on the again the patterns. Right. Um, but after Kim didn't return home for dinner, the police were called. Right. And so now we have people asking neighbors questions, skaters questions. They go to the rink. They go to all these mm-hmm. people. And several witnesses recall that they saw Kim walking away with a man who was between the age of 25 and 35 wearing glasses, blue jeans, and an army-style jacket. Yep. And they also... I'm sorry. I'm getting tangled up in my cords here. And they, <laughs> and they also, you know, can describe him as having dark hair, bushy eyebrows, weighing about 200 pounds, yeah. uh, pounds um, driving a silver Chevy, you know, without a state tag. So there's enough information here that they're trying to piece together what a suspect would look like, could look like. Right. And police, for some for some reason, had no idea that this is Bishop still, and also end up talking to him because this only happened a few blocks from Kim's home. Right. Bishop gets questioned so, <laughs> a lot in the story and isn't connected to um, anything until the last murder. So that's Bishop's story. This is the second time that he has been asked directly about something that he is involved in. And the second time, and it's only, and it hasn't been, what, two years. Yep. But no, again, no pattern has been established here for the police. And so he's allowed to go free. And now he'd go into another cooling off period, right? Like he'd go about another year um, before he would actually kill again. Right. And this time he would be in a grocery store. This story and gets four, to me the most. <laughs> God. Oh, Lord. No, I know, because it's it's one of those... I think we've all had... I don't know, we've all been this kid. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we've all been to the grocery store. Danny Davis is this young four-year-old boy yeah. um, who's at the grocery store with his grandmother. Just at the store shopping, and it was one of my favorite things to do, and I felt safe. You know? <laughs> and so he sees this boy... And, you know, he's kind of at the gumball machine. Y'all remember the gumball machines that had the little lever. You put the, the coin in, you turn it, and you can flip it up. And sometimes you would look to see if there was a gumball left that no one got. Or So he saw him, he saw him, you know, fumbling with that. And he offered him the candy. You know, I'll get you some candy. And Danny said, no, thank you. But at some point, Danny decides to follow Bishop as he's going to leave the store, which you can imagine that Bishop was thrilled about. Right. And so what happens? He takes him, he leads him back uh, to his car. He drives him away back to the apartment where he molests the young boy and then strangles him. Mm-hmm. Number three. Yeah. Pattern. Now, one thing that I would think about here is like I know we're in the we're in the early '80s now, but we're also in the early '80s where security footage is a thing. Right. And so I, I'd imagine that at some point on a grocery store camera, you know, you would see, or you would at least go look and try to look. I know it couldn't have been that. I'm not saying we caught them in 4K. Right. right. But one, of, but once again, just like with Alonzo. And just like with Kim, searchers were out, right? Police were out. 
And, you know, people were terrified because this four-year-old was, had disappeared and he was only wearing shorts, uh, a t-shirt, I'm sorry, blue jeans, a t-shirt, and some, you know, some flip-flops. Right. And it was, co- it was getting cold out. People right. were worried that, you know, he had tumbled into a river nearby or anything. And so it becomes a super intense, super involved and comprehensive search. There are flyers being printed. Um, FBI gets called. You know, people are moving. A $20,000 reward ends up being posted. Right. I mean... Now look. Go ahead. I mean, like I said, you you mentioned the cameras. And I guess it depends on what store. We don't know what store, right? Because so a smaller grocer, yeah. I don't know if they would have it. And, you know... A bigger one, maybe, but this story especially bothers me because, like, you think about how many kids just like run away from the parents or get distracted in the grocery store. Like, this is such a common thing for kids to do, and you know, things like this happen. And I could, you remember, like, I don't know if you ever were this person, but like, you ran away and your mother is like so angry because she couldn't find you. Oh, yeah, that happened one right. Like, I could just imagine, and you know. This one gets the FBI involved, a $20,000 reward. I could just imagine it's like that panic of like, oh my God, I Uh-oh. lost my kid. And then something actually really negative happens. So Right. And that's all. And that's everyone's worst fear, right? right? As a, as as a, a parent, parent, as yeah. a caregiver, um, that someone is hurt. Like, there's, like, we're all afraid that our kids are going to fall down and hurt themselves or bump their heads. But we're also terrified that someone is going to try to hurt them and there's nothing you can do to stop them, right? right? You can you can clean off a, a wound or blow on a, you know, a scrape, but these things are the things that are the stuff of nightmares for parents. And the, the reaction here, though, um, I want to say is that the Salt Lake City Police were inept in a lot of ways, right? They were missing, they were missing the mark. Yep. But every time, one of these, like, every time one of these young kids went missing, like communities got involved, right? People were talking, things were moving, and I, I'm I'm shocked and surprised that that Bishop wasn't terrified, right? Like, because at some point you would think, oh, they're going to be on to me, because this market is not even like half a block from, from Bishop's apartment, yeah. and so guess who comes knocking <laughs> again on his door? And at this point, I'd imagine that somebody's like, wait a minute. I mean, I've, I've, out of all, <laughs> all the murderers, like, the stories I've heard, he probably got interviewed by the police the most. Right. And didn't say, you know, time to skip town because he did it every, like, he skipped town over embezzlement but not murder? Like, it's, like, things things that make you go, hmm. Right. But he gets, he gets interrogator or questioned again. Um, and... He just pretends to be oblivious. I have no idea what's happening, and I'm sure promises to help in any way that he can. However, neighbors who are being asked are saying things like, well, you know, I don't know, man. He does spend a lot of time around kids. You know, he does have some strange friends. You know, there are some things that are going on. He had some rowdy friends. He had some dangerous friends, some reckless friends. And when I say friends, I mean young people, right? And so... There is some, I'd imagine at this point, a little bit of skepticism and suspicion around him, but not enough that they did anything about it. Right. Right. And so by the time, again, by the time they even get to his house, we know that Danny has long since been killed. Um, we know that he, you know, went back and he buried him 
beside the other two victims in Cedar Fort. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Patterns. Right. Patterns and patterns. So, again, he would take his time, his two years, cool off, which, again, is strange for a serial killer because cooling off periods usually get shorter and shorter as time goes by, and shorter. Yeah. As time gets on, you either get cocky because you think, oh, and, I, and if I were him, like, part of me would be, right? Like, you think, like, they're in my face and I'm fooling everybody. And the fact that he's waiting so long, that doesn't mean now we're talking between murders. We're not talking between assaulting, molestation, all that stuff. Like, he is who he is at this point. So his next victim would be would be a young Troy Ward. And it was his sixth birthday, and he was playing at a park. Now, back in the day, again, we have to contextualize. You know, 2021, we don't send kids to the park by themselves. No. We don't. I would say 1983, we shouldn't send kids to the park by themselves, but it was a different time. I went to the park with my friends. By, you know, we were six, seven years old. But with the intention of, hey, you ask a lifeguard that's at the pool at the time, or ask, you know, a, a park, what do you call those people? The people who would sit by the park. Mm. Um, they're not co- they're the cops, but they're um, what are rangers. They? Yeah, maybe but there's a word for them, um, but there's also like employees, like parks department employees, camp employees. Like people were always around at the park. Adults were nearby, right. um, you know. And, and, and especially we talked about how there's such a sense of community here. I'm sure there's a trust between adults that if you see my kid at the park, you're gonna look out for my kid. I know it's how it worked for me when I was six years old. Um, but so it's his birthday and. He gets to go to the park, and he was told, hey, your ride is going to come pick you up. A family friend is going to come pick you up at 4 o'clock. However, when the ride gets to the park, the family friend gets to the park, Troy is nowhere to be found. The family friend then heads to the house thinking, well, oh, maybe he's already gone home. Maybe he never, you know, he didn't stay very long, or maybe he didn't make it. And no one just, you know, and it's not cell phone time. You can't text and say, hey, bro, like, Troy's home. However... What had happened was that he was seen walking away with another man, and they seemed, according to witnesses, to be pretty chill with each other. There seems to be some sort of rapport, right? right? So there's there's a chance that Bishop had already met this kid before, that there was grooming happening already, or you know, he's it's not the first time Troy had seen him at the park, you know, things like he's a pedophile, right? You know, so there, there's all these things. So Troy ends up being the next, the next victim here, where he lures him back to his apartment, where he gets bludgeoned with the hammer and he gets drowned after being molested. But he buries Troy near Big Cottonwood Creek, and not in Cedar Ford. So now we see a deviation right. from his pattern. Right. So maybe some concerns about getting caught. Mm-hmm. At this point, maybe someone's watching. Maybe someone will expect something. Maybe, you know, he's been followed before. Whatever he has figured it out, he has figured out. I'm going to change something up so that way I can throw someone off a trail. Perhaps. Maybe. Well, we talked about how like he had some time between um, the murders, but for this last one, it was only a month later. So, I mean, it's funny because we used to typically see, like, gradual escalation, but this was very quick. This was, Mm. you know, I don't know, I don't know if this was intentional, but maybe, maybe not. So, 
I somewhere around this, and we didn't talk about. There was a child that he became friends with, um, and he would often hang around with this kid. Um, everyone thought this kid was his stepfather, I believe, but he wasn't. This kid's stepson. Step, yeah, stepson, and the, yeah, and he was the stepfather. Um, of course not. He was just a, a local kid that I don't think his mother was really like involved the adults i think she was a single mother and the kid kind of became friends uh with arthur gary bishop (laughs) so i just hate his name (laughs) we talked about this understood um so this kid would often introduce him to some of his other friends in the neighborhood i believe the one from the roller rink which was kim yeah was friends to this boy and so is i think graham so graham is 13 years old and his final victim graham cunningham he was supposed to go with the stepson quote-unquote and um bishop to on a camping trip his family acts was kind of involved they asked who this guy was he's like oh my friend's stepfather we're going on a camping trip. We're all going together. And they were supposed to go on a camping trip. You're right. right. Um, but they never end up making it because two days before the planned trip on July 14th, Graham actually goes missing. Now, what actually happened to Graham, we know that he wasn't missing. He was with Arthur Gary Bishop, who had gotten Graham into his home and with the promise of money coerced Graham into agreeing to pose naked for photos for him. The exchange was made. Now, $100 is 19... I don't want to get the year wrong. Hold on one second here. Uh-oh. I'm going to get the year wrong. I hope I don't get the year wrong. 1983. So, I'm going to say it was 1983. There we go. Alright. So, $100 is a lot of money. For any kid. However, Bishop recognized that Graham seemed a little, you know, perturbed, upset, nervous, anxious, and thought that he was going to then tell his parents that what had just happened. And out of fear of being caught, remember, like, I, I, we, we hypothesize, we assume that because he changed burial locations that he was nervous about being caught. Again, panic button is hit and he beats Graham with the hammer and subsequently drowns him in the bathtub, and therefore marking his fourth and final victim. Yes, and this this becomes his fourth and final victim, because local police start to look into all the past reports um, and all the different things, and they realize Roger Down, a.k.a. Arthur Gary Bishop, was in the vicinity of all the abductions, um, and he knew the parents of Graham, because I think... Graham's parents, Graham Cunningham's parents was kind of questioning who he was before this trip. Because of course, you know, they want to know where their son is going. So police go and question him again. I believe they questioned the child that he was friends with, aka his uh, stepson, and learned that that's not really his stepson. Um, And, you know, Graham, I mean, well, no, sorry. Downs is like, you know, during the question is like, this is not me. 
I didn't do it. it wasn't me. But this kid kind of knows about some of his transgressions because oftentimes he would get the boys that would pose for him nude because there were other, I think there were other boys, but they didn't, they weren't murdered. They were just transactional yes. things for pictures. No, yeah. And so this is when we say that even when he had his cooling off periods, it doesn't mean that he was cooling off from everything right. else. It was just right. the murders was, that weren't happening. Right. I mean, now that I think about it, he had little odds and ends jobs, right? But he never had really a, like a job job. So I imagine the trading of these folders were a source of income for him. No, I'm oh, I'm a hundred percent sure that he was also dealing in child porn. There's yeah. no way that he was. I think about it, you um, know, with everything that went down and like, they, like I said, there are other kids. This boy that he was friends with would, you know, find him other uh, kids. So I'm sure that's how he sustained his living. But anyways, during the police questioning, the friends that the little boy that he was friends with sang like a canary essentially um, about all his stuff. They go back to um, Bishop. Well, hold on. Uh-huh. well because I, I think that, like, this part of the investigation, like, this questioning is super interesting, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a detective that gets put on. Like, the problem is that we have to, well, not the problem. What we have to remember to do is that Graham's mom had connections. This is why it they got far, yeah. Arthur Bishop into a room. Because Graham's mother worked at a restaurant that was near a courthouse. And when you work near a courthouse or any agency, you get regulars who also, you know, work in those buildings. And so she was able to get the ear of people who were important, people who had influence and people who had pull. And so people were, like, asking the right questions this time. People were looking at the right people. And they were looking at Graham's friends. And one of those friends, which I believe his name was Jeffrey, the the boy that was kind of luring people in. And he, so they ask Arthur Gary Bishop, who at this point, again, Roger Downs, I believe his name actually might have been Lynn Downs at this point. He changed his name to Lynn um, at one point. Mm. And so I had them come into the police station and they were invited there to be questioned as a parent and son, right? Which is wild to me. But the other witnesses, the other kids said, we know that that's not really his stepfather. And so the detective was named Don Bell had already in his mind known that something was off here. And when he was when he was he wasn't interrogating, when he was questioning Jeffrey, the boy, the boy was kind of being somewhat standoffish until he asked the question, you know, how long has your father been molesting you? you?" And then at that point, floodgates open. And once he under once he has that on record, he then asks Arthur Gary Bishop to come into a room and questions him, and kind of lets him you know meander through some things and BS his way until he finally says, "I know exactly who you are, and I know what you've done and what you do." And then at that point, yeah. Bishop also begins to sing, like a sing. But even at but even at that point, he was also animated, mm-hmm. and at some points even mocking. Mm-hmm. You know, the voices of his victims and things like that. So, Which was so weird. We yeah, like he would do the high falsetto, like he would up his voice. I don't know, man. It's such an odd thing to right. do. And because he's been caught, so maybe he felt like there's nothing else they can do to me. Um, you know. And he was unapologetic. He wasn't remorseful. Right. 
in the way that the way that you would think someone who is sick would be. And we're we're gonna talk about how he thinks he's sick. Right. Um, but you can go ahead. So we, I just want to make sure that that, that, was clear. that scene was yes. painted because he again cockiness. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, so he's brought to trial on February twenty seventh, nineteen eighty four. Um, during this trial, and this is where we get into what some of his reasonings for his actions. He says that he's addicted to child pornography. Um, and it's all the pornography he consumed that kind of made him act out these fantasies and murder people and do the things that he did. Um, the trial was, I think, in my opinion, kind of short for a murder trial. Oh, yeah. Like, usually it could, it could take a year now, but this was three weeks and he was found guilty on five counts of aggravated murder, five counts of aggravated kidnapping, and one count of sexual abuse to a minor, and he was and I wanna, sentenced to death. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. And I want to point out, like, part of the reason everything was so expeditious is because, is that a word? Expeditiously is a word, whatever. Um, but the reason why things moved so quickly is because when they searched his home, they found a gun, they found blood, they found pictures of a young boy. Like, there was so much overwhelming evidence, too against him like what are you going to say other than you're guilty right Right? like there's there was no way he was getting off there's no way he was getting off he was going to catch these so at this time this is 1984 homosexuality is in the dsm i believe i think we read this um as a mental mental illness. illness so part of his reasoning uh for his actions is that he's a homosexual pedophile because remember there was that stigma, even in the 90s, that if you're homosexual, it's not only that you're homosexual, but you like children. You're a predator. You're a predator. Yes. Right. Um, and I remember this vividly in the 90s. Um, so there was still there is still that stigma, even after it was taken out of the DSM. So he uses it in his, you know, reasoning for his crimes. He's like, I'm a homosexual pedophile convicted of murder. And pornography was a determining factor in my downfall. And I feel like when I, that was a quote from him. And I feel like he definitely talked to a psychiatrist at this point because he sounds like a psychiatrist at this point and using someone had, somebody had told him this, you know, I'm not going to read the whole thing if you want to read it, whatever. But um, he just basically explains the things that he would consume and his, you know, obsession with, children and child porn and stuff like that i yeah. i think around here we learned that he was molested as well um right there's a sorry yeah go ahead this remote this remote recording always gets us you know yeah right <laughs> but because i i think it's really important to just to recognize right that when you say things like hey i'm super sick i'm a homosexual i'm also this pedophile i'm all these morally corrupt things that you that you already painted in your mind and he talks about, you know, pornography being a determining factor. Um, it's important to remember that also during this time, pornography is not as, I don't want to call it mainstream, but it is still naughty, naughty. Like, you shouldn't be looking at that. You know, like, you've got to go to the the back section of stores to find videos and magazines and things like that. You can't just log on to OnlyFans and, you know, subscribe. And so he's trying to paint the most the most you know, detrimental picture and say, you know, it's not my fault. It's I had access to these things. And the problem with people who have urges that, you know, that are detrimental, like pedophilic urges, right? Have those paraphilias who 
I'm using the wrong word, I'm sorry, who have those issues, like, when you view things like pornography, especially when there's still pornography and things, like, there's just photos, like, it allows you to build whatever you want out of those photos in your brain. And so he's trying to paint that photo, that that, that picture to the jury, to everyone else, is that my mind ran, went crazy on me, and it ran wild, and my imagination went crazy, right. and I lost it all. Right. He's going for the insanity defense. And they're like, yeah, nah, no, it right. doesn't work. Um, he does, at the end, uh, have some kind of remorse. Well, he says he's sorry, but he does say that he is capable of doing this again. Um, he doesn't do any of the, um, why am I I'm blanking out? Um, you know when they, God, when a trial is, well, I can't, I'm not thinking of the word. Victim statements? No, 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 no. Appeals. Okay. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he denies all appeals, and he was executed by lethal, in, lethal injection um, in Utah State Prison on June 10th, 1988. So, he does apologize again during his, and when they inject him, before he injects them, but I don't know if he's really remorseful. And right, like I told you, like, the, the initial, you're caught... There was, there was no, no oh, you, I'm so sorry. There was the mocking, mm-hmm. the the excitement that came with it. And also I realized I, I messed up. I said it was that Graham Cunningham was his fourth and final, it's his fifth and fifth, final yeah. victim, I meant to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the story of Arthur Gary Bishop. Yes. Um, it's taken us a few months to get get that stuff <laughs> right now. But I, I'm so glad to be over him because I'm tired of telling I'm, him. So right? I am so tired of telling this story. And this better go up. And if it doesn't, it's going to be somebody else. So I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I can't do this story But again. that is it. That is it. Huh. I'm so glad that we're, we've done that. Um, I don't want to be that guy, but I got to be that guy. So thank you all for listening. <laughs> Usually there's some kind of mumbo jumbo towards the end. But thank you all so much for listening. Um, D, if people wanted to look for you on the internet, where could they find you? Yes, it's on Instagram and Twitter. It's underscore D, D E E, underscore Isa, I S A. And you can see me in all my glory. Where they, could they find you? Right. If you were looking for me, which I know you like, are. Like, why? Oh. It's the voice. <laughs> you know, it's what it is. People are like, oh, you have a great voice. Man, I know, I know. Until you see the rest of this, you know, wait till you get into it. Anyway. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Charnel B, um, where I dump all my useless thoughts and I post a picture every three to four months. So, right. yay. yay! Go enjoy that. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at What Did You Do Pod. Find us on the internet, What Did You Do Podcast dot com. Like us on Facebook. Join the What Did You Crew. Uh, I can't wait to drop this so that way the we can get back in there and talk yeah. to people That'd again. Because so I just miss the community. That too. You know, your community is important to me. But yeah, that's it, y'all. You know, until we speak again, keep your hands clean and, and wear babe, a mask. Because there's a panorama out here, so. Yeah, please submerge. My grandma would say, you need to touch some water. <laughs> so you need to go ahead and touch some water. Stay sanitized, stay clean, mask up, protect your friends. I'm allowed to say, you know, I don't know, just take care of yourselves, y'all. Make good choices. It's not hard to make good choices do you know do your due diligence we're trying to get i'm trying to get back outside next summer y'all been messing my life right so (laughs) y'all take care now goodbye bye